When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew. I got my co-host, Matt, here with me. We are going to break down some recent talk regarding the Jets' OTAs, snap counts, who is starting, who is not starting, who is there, and who is not there. Uh, all the juicy goodness that really doesn't matter at the end of the day uh, at this time of the year. Looking ahead to the 2022 season. Uh, but Matt, I'm going to toss it to you to start. The biggest news probably overall was Jeff Ulbrich at a recent press conference and was discussing his defensive line rotation and mentioned that his players uh, ideally in his words would be playing 30 to 35 snaps a game including the stars uh, just as much as maybe some reserve players and obviously some fans felt some uh, some feelings about that not some good feelings because they were concerned that their best players wouldn't be getting enough playing time uh, and then that statistically doesn't match up with the rest of the league so Matt what was your reaction to that um, I keyed in on the important part of all that which was ideally and ideally we have the talent along the defensive line uh, that matches up with each other. They, the, the drop-off in production wouldn't be so steep from the starters to the next tier. Uh, and also, ideally, they all stay healthy throughout the year. Um, a lot of ideals there, and the ideals are rarely reality. Uh, I believe, ideally, we would wanted to do this last year as well. But we're not able to do that because people were injured. Uh, and we didn't have that uh, consistent depth uh, all the way through the depth chart. Uh, so ideally, yes, but we can't rely on ideals. And they're not going to rely on ideals either. Uh, they're going to have contingencies in place just like they did last year. Uh, so let's see. I, I was looking at a few games for Quinn and Williams, uh, and he probably averaged near 40 snaps per game. Uh probably putting him at around like 58%, around 60% of snaps uh, throughout the year. Um, that's still kind of low uh, considering, uh, but at the same time, it's more than that 30, 35. Um, and I think the same could be said for the edges last year between Franklin Myers and Huff as well. They're all around 40 snaps as well. 
this year we have a lot more depth on the edge. Uh, so maybe we can see if the, the ideals hold up for the edge. Uh, but I just don't see it happening for the inside. Uh, right now, I see only one starting quality defensive tackle, and that's Quinn and Williams. Uh, after him, there's not a lot. Uh, sure, we can move Franklin Myers inside uh, and taking a good amount of, uh, of third down snaps. But other than that, I, it, it, I don't see much there. I see a lot of backups, uh, a lot of mediocrity. So there would be a considerable drop-off between Quinn and Williams' play and everybody else. So to really give Quinn in 30 snaps, 35 snaps in that group, I think would be a horrible mistake and most likely won't end up happening anyways. Yeah, I completely and totally agree. Uh, I think you, you nailed it right off the top. Ideally, they have the talent to be able to rotate like that and not have a drop off. That's just not possible in today's NFL. Uh, I would love for that to be the case. If they can tutor some of these guys that they've brought in on the edges and some of these guys that are coming back from injuries or time off, uh, like Solomon Thomas or Carl Lawson or Benny Curry, um, and they can take some of these young guys that they've brought in, like Jermaine Johnson and Bryce Huff, and really kind of turn them in to, to the freaks that we think they're capable of, and everybody hits, you know, that's a great problem to have. It's just not very likely. And the other part about it is Jeff Ulbrich said it himself. He said, ideally, this is how we want things to go. Well, I wanted to look at it and see if that holds weight. So I went to the last time we could probably make reasonable, reasonable assumptions that Jeff Ulbrich would be making the calls. And I do think that Robert Sala has a hand in this too, and that it's not just Ulbrich. So I don't want to just point anything at him, but I'm really not trying to. Um, so I looked at his time when he was the interim defense coordinator for the Falcons in 2020, uh, which is his only time in the league being an actual defensive coordinator. And you look at the two best players on that defensive line that year, and it was Dante Fowler and Grady Jarrett. And there's multiple instances for both of them where they're playing above 50% of snaps of game, 50% uh, of the snaps in a game as high as even in the eighties where Dante Fowler is playing up to 83% at the highest. Uh, he has games towards the end of the season of 75, 76, 66, 65. And you go over to Grady Jarrett and Grady Jarrett was playing even more as the far and way best player on their defensive line. Uh, it wasn't even close. He played 31% of snaps at the end of the year. I think he was dealing with an injury. The lowest outside of that was 53%. And the lowest outside of that was 77%. Every other game was at least 77, if not close to 80 or close to 90. So their best players played. The guys that were barring away the best guys on their team, the best guys on their line that they would be significantly worse without, they weren't taking them out to follow some arbitrary rule where ideally we want to do this for 30 to 35 snaps and Quinnen Williams has been dominating this left guard all game, but we're going to take him out because he needs on to be on a pitch count. That's not how this is going to work. This is a sentence that I think was taken out of context a little bit. I think the number was a little shocking to people because they were expecting to see their stars play as much as possible, but this system relies on guys being healthy all game. So they are going to rotate a little bit. And I don't think since they have the depth that they do, and hopefully they have guys hitting the way that they do, you're not going to see anyone playing 85 to 90 to, you know, maybe even 75% of snaps consistently. 
but your best of the best are going to be playing 65 to 70 every week. And I really think that it's going to be the the key times when they need a breather that you have the reserve guys to come in to play those 30 to 35 uh, percent of snaps. And in my opinion, the percentage matters so much more than the actual number because games, the snap count, it varies. It's never equal. Um, Roughly, you would think between 70 and 80 plays in a game. But if you have a guy that's playing 35 snaps, but it was a run heavy game and there was only 62 plays. Well, that's more than 50%. Would you like to see that be a little higher? Sure. But that sounds a lot better than 30 to 35 snaps. I'm not too concerned about this because I think the guys that are going to be playing are going to show up early and often in training camp and also on the field. And it's going to be better overall um, for the team and better overall for the defensive line and the defense as a whole, because a guy that's fresh in the fourth quarter is going to be a lot better than a star that's gassed out anyway. And the stars are still going to get enough reps to make it count. So here's two talking points that I've just kind of thought of. Uh, I think the most important thing is when these stars, these starters are actually playing. Uh, so, yeah, we are we're expecting rotation throughout the game. But how about when the game is on the line or going into a half and you need a stop? Who's in the game at that point? Are they still going to be rotating in and out during these pressure situations? Or are they going to have their stars do star things when we need them the most? Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's where you focus on one number and you just hear 30 to 35 snaps a game. Well, if those 30 to 35 snaps are the most important snaps in the game, I'd rather have those guys playing. So it all, it, it really is getting overblown. And I really think once you see this actual defense play this year, it's not going to matter nearly as much. We're just going to be glad that we have the depth and the talent that we do to be able to keep guys fresh well into the end of the game where we really need them to be at their best. Absolutely. Uh, The second talking point that I was thinking of, uh, I also posed this question to Twitter a little while ago. If we say the ideal actually happens and these guys really flow from starter to second tier to third tier and everybody's productive and our total team sacks are maybe top five or top 10. Uh, But on the other side of that, our stars maybe don't have the, the sack totals that you kind of look at when you think of high price tag stars in the league. Do you think that these guys deserve the money then if they're not producing at those levels? Yes, and I'll tell you why. Because historically with this scheme, with this Pete Carroll cover three, when you get a defensive line that is towards the top of the league in sack production, you usually end up with a defense that's towards the top of the league too. So if they're getting a defensive line effort from everybody, including the stars where maybe it's not 14 sacks from Carl Lawson, but it's eight or nine and he's close to the top or Quinnen Williams is giving you eight and a half or nine sacks a year, or maybe he gets to 10 one year or at worst he's getting seven, but he's doing it every single year and he's creating pressure and he's drawing focus and he's allowing guys like Jermaine Johnson to be free off the edge and get one-on-ones or when they sub in Bryce Huff, Bryce Huff can get a one-on-one and have a better advantage that's the value for it. And so I think if the stars are still leading the team 
and the defense overall is following behind it because their defensive line is dominating. That's the first part of this defense working. I've talked a lot about what this defense needs to work, and it's a lot of pieces in a lot of areas. Maybe most importantly than anything, an offense that can score that keeps offenses uh, opposing offenses passing the ball. But behind that, you need to get pressure and you need to get home on quarterbacks. So if their defensive line is that good, I want to keep the guys around that are making it that good. So with this trade-off, with time uh, to rest, but also sacrificing production, do you think that the players themselves would prefer this? Uh, I think some of them may not, but I think some of them will, because we also got to remember this improves their longevity of their careers is if they're not playing massive amounts of snaps every game, every season being pushed to their very limit, they're likely not going to get hurt as often because they're not straining as much. They're not having to feel like maybe they have to play through an injury as hard as they do because they have to get the reps in. There's no one else behind them is going to be worthy of doing anything. I think there's going to be a give and take to it where I think some players are really going to appreciate it because they're not going to be overworked. They're not going to be pushed to the edge. They're not going to be gassed at the end of every game and potentially shorten the uh, overall length of their careers. And some other guys that are going to want the stats that are going to want the recognition that are going to want to be able to turn around and get, you know, a payday from another team and say, I was top five in the league in sacks and, you know, played this many snaps, you know, they may not see it that way, but I really think it's going to depend on the player. I don't think it's going to be an overarching feeling one way or the other. Yeah, I look at a lot of our rookies. They're already in their almost at their mid twenties already. So right. by Michael Clemens is twenty four. He's already twenty four. He's as old as Quinton Williams. So it's, literally, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's funny, but at the same time, yeah. Uh, the they these are guys that probably want to extend their career as much as they can to increase the 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 payout at the end of the day. Uh, I could definitely see them uh, definitely benefiting from this. Yeah, I think so, too. And like I said, I think it's going to depend player to player. I think there are going to be some guys, maybe not on this team right now, or maybe not that we know, and maybe the Jets are a focus for their team philosophically is going to be to look for guys that are going to care about the team success more anyway, and so it won't be an issue. But I feel like overall, I think the players are going to really appreciate, especially defensive linemen, where it's such a contact-heavy position where you're getting into a, a street fight on every play you know, I think they're going to appreciate that extra rest. I think so as well. All right, let's get to the next uh, topic of discussion. That is going to be who is starting and who is not starting in the first reps of 11 on 11. Uh, Pretty much all just passing right now. I had heard from Michael Floor as well in a recent press conference from him that it's kind of really hard to get the run game going. You're not in pads and, you know, you're not doing anything at full speed. It's kind of more just walkthroughs and jogging for them. But the pass game, you can kind of simulate a little more because it's not as physical. You're not using as much contact. Uh, You can kind of back off that way. Speaking of, there's been some surprise starters or not not starters in the secondary uh, and that being Jason Pinnock has been getting a lot of reps as the starting free safety and Sauce Gardner has not been starting at outside corner instead it has been Bryce Hall so that's really interesting because obviously Sauce Gardner the fourth overall pick their top pick overall uh, in the entire class uh, as Robert Salas said in his draft call you were always the one this is a guy you would think that they would expect to be starting right away uh, and Sala had said that he's got to earn it and that he's not just going to walk in and immediately be granted the starting job. And I think overall, Matt, I know you agree with this, that the reaction from us is what else did you expect him to say? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's, 
it's all coach talk right now. It's all just, you know, it's all pointless right now. It's exactly whatever happens right now is not most likely not what it's going to be like week one. So we, I remember last year we saw countless guys getting starting reps uh, when we thought other people would be. Uh, And when the games were on the, uh, were on the TV, it didn't matter because we had different guys starting. So it's, it's all about getting people reps uh, right now who they feel uh, earned them so far. I think they looked at Pinnock last year in the last couple of games of the season, and they really liked what they saw. They haven't really seen Joyner play at all. So to give Joyner the, they the got one off season the, of it. Yeah, really. To give Joyner the keys to the, to the kingdom right away uh, seems kind of silly, uh, when, especially when they, they've seen Pinnock most recently and like what they saw uh, same with sauce and hall. They saw hall last year, be our best cornerback. Uh, he was, I think he started the most snaps on defense last year for us. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He barely, he rarely, if ever came off the field, I think he Rare. was close to like yeah. 98% of snaps played on defense. He Absolutely. was, he was their number one corner through and through in in a stalwart on that defense as well. He, he, was asked to do a lot. And for the most part, he answered that call. Uh, so yeah, it, I think it makes sense that early reps should go to him. If sauce is the the guy that everybody thinks he is, he'll definitely pull ahead at some point. Uh, so I'm not worried about it now. Uh, and I'm not really worried about it later either. This uh, stuff will all sort itself out. And in the end, the, the best players uh, will eventually be starters. Yeah, that's the crucial part for me, what you just said. If Sauce is who he says he is, then he'll end up starting by default because he'll be better. And that's, I, I think he will be. I don't think that anyone is expecting that to not be the case. And I don't think anyone thinks that Bryce Hall was bad last year. We all just think Sauce Gardner's better. And that's why he was the fourth pick in the draft. And yes, Bryce Hall had an injury, but that's why Bryce Hall was a maybe end of the first mid second round, early second round graded player when he was coming out of college. And Sauce Gardner was a top five pick by everyone that ever looked at him. You're expecting him to perform, but this is the NFL. It's a prove it league. And until you see it, it's not going to be handed to you because if Sauce Gardner as unlikely as it is, comes out and immediately starts playing awful and looks like he has no idea what he's doing or is completely out of shape or there's some myriad of problems, you can't just reward that. You can't just give him the starting job and say, oh, no, it's fine. We took you high, so you have to play and start and be good. He's still got to earn it. But I also don't think the Jets would have taken him if he didn't have his mindset right, if he wasn't wired the right way, and that he wasn't going to come in and attack everything and be the best player that he can be. And what we've seen out of reports from reporters that have been there for the uh, handful of OTAs and reps that they've gotten, he's played really well. He had a couple of nice pass breakups on Garrett Wilson from what we were hearing. Um and man coverage and pretty much our only concern with him at all was how he's going to handle guys that were smaller and shiftier. And luckily he's got two guys in Elijah Wills, uh, Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson, excuse me, to uh, practice against for a whole off season and get better at. So I'm confident that sauce is going to play well enough to start. I don't think this is going to be a story in the future. I think this is just something minor for right now at the start of the season and come training camp and, or potentially earlier, no one's even going to remember that this was the thing. However, Jason Pinnock starting is interesting because I think ideally the team is hoping someone wrestles that job away from uh, Marcus Joyner. 
I he's the starter by default. He was set to be the starter last season. The coaches have talked about him like he's going to be the starter uh, and how bringing him back is going to be a help on defense and how they really felt his loss last year. I'm really skeptical about him. And I've said that before, and I'm going to continue saying that until proven otherwise, because he's older coming off an injury. And uh, I'm just worried overall about what he has left to give. So if Jason Pinnock as a converted corner, that is tall and long and fast and aggressive and with great ball skills can be that guy on the back end to patrol deep and track passes and be the, the missing link of the defense that I said before the draft that they really needed. Then by all means, I would love to give him a shot to take that job. So for considering he's switching from corner, I think he needs the reps. So it may be a situation of, he may not be right now. Number one on the depth chart but they need to give him some reps with this defense to give him a chance to get him used to the speed to see if he's even got a clue to start with and if they're going to waste their time continuing to try and focus on him or if they're going to know there's this huge clear gap. Because if Jason Pinnock is good enough to beat out LaMarcus Joyner, switching from corner in one year as a second-year player over LaMarcus Joyner, who's been a pro bowler at free safety, even though I'm still worried about what he might have mentally, if he's able to do enough to match him and physically overtake him, that's going to say a lot. So I'm really looking forward to how Jason Pinnock is going to play out through this offseason. I also think it's really interesting that if he wins this job, he's reuniting with former college teammate Jordan Whitehead as the other safety spot. Mm. And Jordan Whitehead talked about that in his uh, recent press conference, how when he was a junior, Pinnock was a freshman, and he remembers that he was just long and aggressive and had great ball skills, and that was like his little brother when they were there, and they were very close. And he's been trying to help him and really tutor him and give him tips on how to be a safety and how to get his eyes right and what to look for and all of that. So if he can get under Whitehead's wing and the two of them can really form a bond and get communicating and and have that down, it's going to go even further for our defense. So I'm really rooting for Jason Pinnock to win this job. I am as well. Uh, I, I love that. And I, I not to, to trash on Joyner too much, but I also completely agree and I'm also skeptical. Uh, he hasn't played in a year and hasn't even played the position in maybe four to five years, I believe. Uh, at, at least four. At least four. So there's a lot of skepticism there. Uh, if the worst case scenario, he's a nice backup uh, and and Pinnock uh, is, our, is our star. Uh, so I, I think we, we're, we're kind of set up decently at safety. Uh, I'm not too worried there. But now all this uh, this talk about uh, who's getting snaps where uh, has me thinking of our tackle situation. And once min- uh, mandatory minicamp uh, comes around and we have ma- hopefully Fant and Becton back, uh, how that competition is going to work and how they're going to be splitting time. Uh, who Whoever's getting starting reps, is it just going to be uh, somebody getting starting reps one day and then somebody gets starting reps the next day. I I, I wonder how that's going to really go down. Yeah. um, I'm curious to see how it's going to go down. Um, Mandatory minicamp will be just over a week at the time we're recording this. Uh, It's probably not going to be too intensive for lack of a better word. I doubt there's going to be too much physicality going on. So I don't know how much you're really going to get in terms of judging your tackles uh, when you don't really have much physicality or pads on. So how they sort things out is going to be interesting to see, but I'm not too worried about it for mandatory minicamp. What I am interested to see is how Mekhi Becton looks just physically. Mm -hmm. 
that's is he moving okay is his body okay and i expect it to be i have no reason to expect otherwise i don't i know he's been working out i know he's been training i know he's motivated i'm not expecting that he's going to show up and there's going to be a problem so if there is i'm going to be really surprised and i'm going to be really concerned but i'm expecting him to show up and be okay go through the motions do what he has to do and just like we're talking about with lamarcus joiner get back into the rhythm of playing because he barely got a chance to play last year either and when you play basically, they basically played the same amount of football last year, about a half. And it's going to take some time to get back in the rhythm of things. I know he's been training and I know he's been working, but it's different when you get into camp and you got live, you know, practice going and the pads are on. And when you go to those joint practices and you're going against other players that aren't on your team, that aren't, you know, the guys you have to see every day and you're learning and you're going against people that are unfamiliar, it's going to be different for him. And so I'm really interested to see, just get yourself back on the right foot. Come back, be in shape, seem like you're, you know, been keeping up with the playbook. Playbook hasn't changed since last year, so it's not like you had to learn a new offense. Uh, It's a similar system to what you ran in college, so it shouldn't be unfamiliar to you. You know, come in, show that you're putting your best foot forward and and prove that you're going to compete for the left tackle job. And worst case scenario, that you're going to be a really good right tackle either way. So uh, have the coaches really hinted towards what the timeline would be for when they want to decide on on a starter they've made very clear that they're not going to decide on anything right now and likely not until training camp when pads are on which i i agree it's really kind of hard to decide unless it's so blatantly obvious that someone's so much better of an athlete or a player mentally in the classroom or anything else but I, i don't think they're going to come to any conclusions you know until then i think internally they may have things sorted out a couple of weeks into training camp I think externally, they're not going to say a word until literally hours before week one. I I have to believe their mindset right now is that Fant probably has the inside track to left tackle and that they really just want to see Becton. And if he blows everybody away, then you can't you can't really hold him back from being the left tackle. Right. Uh, Because I don't know, I I just feel like we've seen enough at Fant, Fant at right tackle. Uh, to kind of get an idea that he's probably not as good as he would be at left tackle, where he looked so much more comfortable. Uh, so that, uh, that brings problems in itself. Like, what if, what if Becton is so good that they can't deny him left tackle, and then that forces Fant into a position where he probably won't be as productive? And so that leads me to the question is, how good is... Becton at right tackle, if he's even if he's really good at left tackle, because at some point you have to get your best five out there. And the most important thing is blocking things successfully, not who's playing left, who's playing right. It's having a good offensive line. So if your overall offensive line is worse with George Fan at right tackle and Becton at left tackle than it is the other way around, then I think you have to do whatever makes your offensive line the best. And however that ends up shaking out, regardless. I think this is going to be a situation where I think Fant has the inside track. Like you said, I think they saw a big improvement for him. I think they, you know, especially after Becton went down, switching with such short notice and seeing the immediate improvement, he was probably, that was probably something he was saying, you know, internally that, you know, I feel like I'm more of a natural left tackle and obviously he's very respected in the locker room. So they like him from that angle, but I'm thinking of this looking down the road to week one. The Ravens got some dang good pass rushers. Mm-hmm. I want to make them study two guys, not one. Yeah. 
yeah. make them guess, make them not know who they're going to see. Cause the likely likelihood is the sides of which their defensive ends are rushing from aren't going to change. If Ojabo is probably not going to be healthy enough to be playing, they still have Odafe Owe. Uh, they still have some other guys on the other end of the line. They got some, some good defensive linemen and I don't want to give them any help. I don't want to give them any tips. So internally, they may have their lines sorted out and, and their closed practices and closed training camp, but the media is not there and they get in their starting sets. They're going to have their guys that are set and their decisions going to be made externally. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah. I, 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 for the betterment of the team, I don't want to know. Don't tell me until the starting lineups come out literally hours before the game starts. <laughs> that's, that's how I would prefer. Yeah. We'll leave uh, more to the imagination. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want to give, like I said, I don't want to give the Ravens who are a good team, any other advantages, you know, make things as difficult as possible. I remember being at the home opener uh, this past year in Charlotte, where literally hours before the game, they had the Panthers inside linebackers change their numbers from double digits to single digits. And not that it probably made too much of a difference, but any slight thing that they could have done to cause confusion. And, Oh, guess what happened? Zach Wilson threw a pick to Shaq Thompson that day. Coincidence? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a little bit of trickery. I, I, I just remembered that myself. Yeah, that's uh, any advantage you can get, take it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, Matt, let's get to the last thing we're going to talk about today. Uh, it's been a long off season, a very successful off season. I think we both agree overall. Uh, so that pretty much leaves us with one last burning question: What are we left to worry about? What's with such a successful offseason with such great uh, signings and free agency with an awesome draft class overall uh, with improvement, you know, hope in the coaching staff. What is left to worry about? I'll let you go ahead and start. What is what's left? Well, really, it's just depth. Uh, I'm just struggling with some of the guys that we have uh, at depth at some certain positions, uh, especially linebacker and defensive tackle. Uh, defensive tackle, a little less worried, but at the same time, still worried. Uh, just because I see a lot of guys like Rankins, Solomon Thomas, Nathan Shepard, Jonathan Marshall, uh, who haven't really proven that they can be uh, players in, in a large role. Uh, so if, let's say, God forbid, Quinnen goes down with an injury, who really fills in for him? Uh, I, I truly don't know. Maybe Franklin Myers fills in for him full, full time. I, I I don't know. And I feel like that line already is going to struggle against the run. Um, and then that moves its way back. That, that issue moves its way back to the linebackers next. And then you have Quinnen and CJ as probably our stars in a base nickel. Uh, but then behind them, what is there? There's nothing, nothing there. You have Hamza. Uh, you got Delshawn Phillips, you got Jamie Sherwood, who's not going to even be playing until maybe October at the earliest. Uh, you got Marcel Harris, who we got from San Francisco. So there's a lot of question marks there that I'm not comfortable with. Uh, when you look at our starters straight up, I'm a little bit happier with that, but you can't rely on all your starters staying healthy for the entire season. It's unrealistic. And when you look at the defensive line, yeah, they're going to be rotating a lot. But if you look at the players last year who really had the most snaps per game, it was the linebackers. 
it was the secondary. So when you have guys like CJ and Quincy who are looking to play upward of 90% of the game, the guys behind them, if if one of them goes down, they're going to be playing 90% of the game. So it it's I can't see any of these guys behind them really filling that void if anybody in, in the linebacker crew gets hurt. Uh, and the same for defensive line. If they have to fill in for Quinn and whoever our next starter is, maybe it's uh, Rankins, uh, if, if he doesn't get cut. Uh, so I think we, we've discussed that along the defensive line and in the linebacker group. They really need to be active with the free agents that are still out there. Uh, or even maybe uh, look to see who gets cut uh, late in camp. Because right now, it's it's just so bare of, of talent. Yeah, it's it's definitely a cause for concern. Um, I think it was Leger Doosable had reported that the Jets have take it or leave it, quote unquote, offers for Larry Ogunjobi and Quan Alexander on the table. Uh, kind of like a, this is our line. This is what we're willing to do. You want it. There it is. If not, okay. So... We'll see if that ends up coming to fruition. Uh, we have already discussed uh, last week, I believe it was, we talked about free agents, that either of those players would be excellent additions on uh, those key spots lacking depth. Um, I'm going to piggyback off what you said and go slightly a different direction. The depth in those areas is definitely a question. But overall, those areas in particular, I am very worried about our run defense as a whole. Yes. And mainly the interior of the defensive line and the linebackers. I think Quinnen's a great player. I think he's great against the run. I'm worried about everything else. I think Jermaine Johnson is going to be a, a great help. I think he sets the edge fantastic. I don't think it matters whether you're a tackle or a tight end. He's standing you up, and, and that's going to be it. But when he's not on the field, and when Quinnen isn't on the field, if they are rotating, which we're pretty sure they will, that worries me a lot. And so I'm really questioning who up front is going to make you know, is going to make an impact because if they're getting blown off the ball up front, it doesn't matter who we have a linebacker. It, it, it really doesn't. If we got guards and, and tackles being able to get up field and get onto our linebackers at the second level, that's going to make our run defense so much harder. And it's going to defeat the whole purpose of this scheme, which is force teams to pass, get your offense up to an early lead, get teams throwing the ball and then feast on their quarterbacks when they try to if they can just run down our throats like they did all last year, any team that we play, it's going to be a long, long season again. So I am very, very concerned for the interior. And maybe this is just the little bit of optimism I'm allowing myself to have this season because I'm trying to be as realistic as possible. But I am very, very, very curious to see what Jonathan Marshall looks like in year two. Because that dude is an athlete. Absolutely. Like, supreme level athlete, 9.99 RAS, like was the second rated defensive tackle in the database overall last year. Jordan Davis came out and broke the scales this coming year, but that still has Jonathan Marshall at three. Two spots behind Jordan Davis sounds pretty good to me. This dude athletically can be whoever he wants. He just didn't know what he was doing, and that's why he went in the seventh round. He had absolutely no idea how to play football from a technical sense or from an awareness standpoint, but he's had a year in the system. He's gotten some snaps. He even made some plays in the few snaps that he had. And now he's got another year 
continue to grow, continue to be in the same scheme. And most importantly, it's not a scheme that's very technical. It's a scheme that really is more about just letting guys be athletes and go and attack. And Jeff Ulbrich himself said it in in the same press conference where he talked about them rotating, you know, they're not reading gaps. They're not holding gaps. They're, they're not, they're, they're not reading where lines are going. It's go kill, go cause havoc, go use your athleticism, go use your talent, get in the backfield, get on the quarterback, get on the runner, get upfield and create as much damage as you can. Jonathan Marshall physically is built for that. And so if he can get some amount of technique going, I think they could really have something. So I'm really curious to see if there's any amount of improvement, because even if it's not this year, that's a pick that they took knowing it was going to be a project. I just want to see some level of growth, because if I do, I think the Jets defensive tackle problems are not going to be problems for long. Yeah, if if he pans out, it's a huge if to be He's got a on right long now. way to go. A long way. And then you have who else we got? Nathan Shepard, who does flash every now and then. Uh, right. But he's had a lot of time to grow. And that's yeah. why I'm I'm more so out on Shepard, because he's had the few years for multiple coaches and multiple systems. No, that's never easy, but he's had time to be in the league. He's he's a veteran at this point. You know, you should have had your growth. Jonathan Marshall is a second year player in the NFL. I think there's a lot more leeway with him. I, I can't imagine them really banking on Marshall, though. Uh, no. To to have that jump to to be as proficient in everything you just said as we need him to be, I just don't see it. Which is probably why they're still looking out outside of the organization right now for somebody else. Uh, one guy I was thinking about was Su and Duncan Sue. Uh, what do you what would you think about that? I I, I know a lot of people yes. look at his his background and uh, how much of a character concern. He could Don't have been care. in the past, but at the same time, it's, I would rather have somebody that's a, a douchebag, but also extremely productive and could be a starter uh, right out of the bat. And you know who else was a douchebag, Matt? Please. Lawrence Taylor. Yes. <laughs> and I think I would, everybody would agree that they would like Lawrence mm-hmm. Taylor. On you know who team. was a, you know, who was a bona fide crazy person, John Randall. But you people you love need him as a defensive lineman, unless you're Reggie White and, and you're able to, to flip the switch and be, you know, the nicest guy ever off the field. And then the second you play on the field, you're Hercules you, as a defensive lineman. You got to be a little crazy. You got to be a little psycho. You got to be a little nuts. You got to be foaming at the mouth. I like those defensive linemen that are those dogs that don't mm-hmm. care about their bodies, that are reckless, that just want to hunt and kill. And for this scheme, that's the guys that they want too. they want the animals. They, they, that's that's Michael Clemens. Michael Clemens isn't the nicest guy, but he'll beat your freaking tail up up and down the field. So, yeah, Nandamakan Sue for the right price for a guy that can sub in and be effective on pass downs and against the run. Yes, a hundred thousand percent. Yes, I would absolutely be all for it. I think it would be a fantastic signing as long as it's not too expensive and as long as he's still got something to give. Hundred thousand percent. I actually. Years and years and years ago, this is a funny story. I don't think I've ever brought this up on the podcast, but I love that I get to bring this up. Years and years ago, I went to a joint training camp between the Panthers and the Dolphins when Ndamukong Sue was still in Miami. And I remember seeing him standing next to Jordan, uh, Jordan Cameron, who was their tight end at the time. And both of them were six foot six, you know, huge, strong, rocked up. And I remember looking at Ndamukong Sue next to Jordan Cameron and saying they're practically the same height, but Ndamukong Sue is thicker and more musclier, and he's got a better body. Yep. That he was like 310 pounds listed at the time. 
And I'm sitting here going, that dude's more ripped than Jordan Cameron, who's their starting tight end. It was the he's the most physically impressive human I'd ever seen with my two eyes. And I saw Cam Newton that weekend, too. Like <laughs> Cam Newton was was damn impressive, too. But I have never in person seen a human being built like Nandamakan Sue. So, yes, a hundred thousand percent. If that happens, I am going to be a huge fan. I mean, I would probably cut Rankins right now immediately if, <laughs> if it meant we can get Sue and, and pay him what he wants. Uh, and I think. At that point, it, the the whole rotation conversation. Uh, if Sue isn't really asked to play more than than fifty uh, percent of of snaps, I think that actually works in his favor because at this point in his career, uh, he probably shouldn't be playing close to eighty or ninety percent of snaps per game. Uh, so I think he would actually benefit from our system uh, a lot, especially the the rotation aspect of it. I think so, but I want to look this up right now because I swear I just saw a stat the other day that Nandamakan Sue has like only missed one game in his career. That's impressive. Yeah. As a defensive tackle, for as violent and as physical as he is, like, I'm pretty sure he only missed one game. Let me make sure of this. Here, while, while you're looking that up, I'm... Well, I'm he's gonna... played the last three seasons at between 32 and 34, and he hasn't missed a single game. Jeez. Has only missed a total of two games in the last 12 seasons, and they were both his rookie year. Wow. That's impressive. So since his rookie year, he's never missed a game. So yeah, would the rotation help him? But he's one of the more like durable defensive linemen in the league while being as effective as he is. I I don't care. He's 35. I don't care. Defensive linemen play into their 30s all the time. The the Ravens signed Calais Campbell when he was like 37, and he was a vital <laughs> part of their defensive line. So and yeah. will be again. And year. will be again, right. And will be again this year. So yes, 100,000%. The fact that Ndamukong Sue is still available is like the same thing we said for Akeem Hicks, but like times two. Yeah. And you know what? I don't even really buy into the character concerns either because I was reading something about how once he spent uh, the, the first year in Tampa Bay, he kind of reflected on his time in Miami and in Detroit uh and really kind of came to the conclusion that wow he really is, let his ego really be a detriment to the team and i think it kind of showed while in tampa bay him kind of taking a back seat and not really letting that ego take center stage and take away from the rest of the team so i don't even buy into if he comes to the jets that he would be a problem off the field no and don't think for a second that he didn't rub off on vita vea Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with all these young defensive linemen like Jonathan Marshall that I just talked about, what a great guy to learn from. What a great guy to to have in as a mentor in that room to, you know, teach, you know, nuances. And especially for a guy like Marshall that's so physically, athletically talented and practically the same build. Hmm. Like it, it's they're athletically, they're shades of each other. They're very, very similar. So, I, I mean, I think it would be absolutely perfect. Last thing I want to end on, just on his durability, Ndamukong Sue is the only defensive player in the NFL since 2012 to play every game. Yikes. So he's the most versatile, durable defensive player in the league. I don't care how old he is. It doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't seem to matter, no. His snap count has gone down, but He's been healthy and reliable the entire time. 
Absolutely. And for what we would need him to do, which is more play on early downs and maybe sub in as a three tech for Quinnen every now and again on pass downs, or maybe he plays the one tech role when JFM moves, having that other guy on the interior that can play in multiple spots and just be a penetrator and a disruptor. That's what they really need. And so if it's, I know they're going after Ogan Joby because he's a little younger and I know that he's had a little maybe more experience recently in this scheme, but Nandamakan Sue, when he was drafted, played for Jim Sports which is very, very similar. Jim Schwartz is 4-3 wide nine, and Ndamukong Sue is their three tech. So he's going to be in a very, very similar system if he were to be in New York. I, I'm The more we're talking about this, the more I want it to happen. Right? Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. Make it happen. Yeah, that's that's the way to end for me, is, is go get Ndamukong Sue and put a bow on this offseason. Yep, he's all our worries. Well, 100%. Some of them, at least. <laughs> Most of them, at least. All right, Matt, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, You can always follow at OKD Podcast on Twitter for all the latest updates whenever we drop an episode. You can also follow me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. Matt, you can tell the people where to follow you. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jets. As always, once again, thank you all for listening. And we'll be back real, real soon with some latest updates heading into training camp, end of mini camp, how things are looking uh, as the Jets head for their summer break. Thank you so much. We'll be back soon. Bye-bye.